Good evening, and welcome to College Success for You. This is Professor Soriano, your host from Seton Hall University and Keene University. I hope you tune in every week and listen to some insightful commentary about the tips and tricks your mama never told you about college life. Good evening, and welcome to College Success for You. Tonight, you're going to find out what's going on behind the scenes that cause you to feel miserable, and we'll discuss methods to alleviate that feeling. When circumstances in your life go the way you want, you feel good about it, but you don't take any credit because you think you're lucky. But is it really luck that brought you success, or is it the thinking you put into reaching your goals? On the other hand, when circumstances turn against you, you blame yourself or come up with a million excuses as to why things didn't work out. Either way, you can't seem to win because somewhere in your mind you think you don't deserve success. So, tonight's topic is, why do I make myself miserable? And we'll get into this topic and find out the ins and outs of it right after this commercial break. Welcome back. Tonight's topic is why do I make myself miserable? Or as the Buddhists would say, why do I cause myself suffering? Looking at this from a modern psychological view, let's break down the brain in two parts, the old brain and the new brain. The old brain is responsible for generating feelings and reacts to our circumstances from a defensive stance. As you grew up, you were unable to think or make rational decisions So based on the threat you were experiencing, the old brain formed defenses designed to protect you. If you did something wrong and were punished for it, then the old brain said, don't do that again, and sent some fear into your veins. So the next time a similar situation came along, the fear returned to stop your behavior. And after years of conditioning, any object or situation that even remotely reminds you of your childhood situation, the fear is triggered and you're back off into blaming yourself or feeling miserable. So who takes charge of this? How, you know, how does this come about? How can we stop it? What, what can we do about it? Is that just the way we are? Well, it's not just the way we are. It's just a part of what we are. It's not the whole of who we are. So here's an old brain example. Now say for instance, you did something really well during your childhood, but for some reason your parents or teachers or anyone you counted on for attention and recognition didn't give you that recognition or attention. It was withheld or they just subtly gave it to you. At that time, your old brain decided that, well, what's the point? When I do something good, I don't receive any credit. Therefore, I'll form the belief that even when I do something good, I don't deserve it. Sounds logical. However, our emotions have their own way of logic. Because if we break that statement down, it really doesn't make that much sense. But, you know, we're human beings and we process information in different ways. And again, if we're trying to keep ourselves from feeling, let's, let's just say negative feelings, we're going to come up with all kinds of excuses and reasons as, as to how to avoid them and who we think we are. 
On the other hand, when you did something wrong, you were met with criticism, and thus the old brain said, nothing makes a difference whether you do well or ill. You still don't deserve recognition. You should have done this or have done that differently. You should have not this. You should have not done this or that at all. And basically, you've been carrying these beliefs around your neck all your life, and you probably thought that you outgrew them. But beneath the surface, they're still percolating, and they're ready to strike at any moment. Whenever a negative situation comes up, we perceive it a certain way, and then the beliefs kick in, and then we're back to thinking and feeling the way we actually did in the past. On the other hand, the new brain, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to go into like uh, neuroplasticity or anything, at least not in this podcast, but the new brain, the neocortex, uh, was developed, you know, thousands of years ago. However, it keeps growing and we keep building neural pathways and we could, we could change the way we think and we could change the way we feel and that therefore we could change the way we perceive and what we believe. But more on that later. But now it's time to put your new brain to work. The one that processes information and experiences in the present moment. Let's say you're working on an important project. You know it's working out well and you expect it. <clears throat> excuse me. And you expect to complete it shortly. In the background of your mind, however, a nagging feeling arises that dampens your good mood. What could this be? How could we take that energy that's nagging us and turn it into something that's productive? So again, we come back to the concept of the observer, that part of us which observes our thoughts and feelings, which observes our beliefs and doesn't get caught up in them. And that's why I emphasize so much in podcast two that we have to develop the observer within us or the witness that's your key to success right there. It really relates to everything that we're talking about. So this nagging feeling in the back of your mind is your old brain coming in to rescue you. You know, throwing you a life preserver. Yo, hey, follow me, you know, grab onto this. Because after all, won't you be ignored whether you project uh, success or failure? So the new brain... Or the observer comes in and says, wait, you don't have to do this. You have a choice. Just being aware of this background noise can make all the difference in your attitude and your emotional mood. If you catch the old brain's messages and know where in the past it came from, you can head off feeling ignored. This is where you make use of your new brain and the observer. Take a look at what's going on inside you. Do you see an old experience in which you weren't rewarded for doing well? Does this look familiar to you? Now compare it to what's going on right now. Recognize that these two experiences, the one from the past and the one from the present, are separated by years and that you have a choice of what to believe. With your observer, thank the old brain for reminding you about this past experience and that for trying to protect it but tell your old brain that you can now protect yourself now here's another point of view you can also look at the old brain new brain 
set up as the rational emotive brain. The emotive brain focuses on feelings and emotions and influences you through those feelings and emotions. We move toward things that are positive or give us pleasure, and we move away from things that give us displeasure. Sounds like a good plan, right? Usually works out that way. So there's nothing profound about that, but it is a, like a human psychological law. So if Nancy loves vanilla ice cream and you want her to eat chocolate ice cream, which she detests, she's not going to eat the chocolate ice cream. She's going to move toward the vanilla ice cream and push aside the chocolate ice cream. But this even applies to the inner images in our minds that send us information about reality. You walk down the street, you see someone wearing a bright yellow shirt or blouse, but you dislike the color yellow. And so you say to yourself, what a lame looking shirt. Well, why did you do that? It has nothing to do with the shirt. It's your perception of what the shirt represents. If you don't like yellow, then you're, <laughs> you're going to dislike the shirt. What if the person's wearing a blue shirt and you love that shirt? Just, oh, I love that shirt. Why? Because it's blue. So the image of the blue shirt in your mind creates a, a feeling of pleasure. The yellow shirt or the image of the yellow shirt in your mind creates a feeling of displeasure. So when any situation arises, it triggers inner images in your mind. And if through your past conditioning, your old brain dislikes any part of that situation, it will send you a message of displeasure. And obviously the same holds true with, with a situation that you perceive as good or pleasurable. Your old brain will kick up positive feelings. But is that any way to judge reality based on a perception? Because it's not based on what's happening in the present moment. So we have to be able to catch those, let's just say, subtle messages that are, that are being generated by our uh, subconscious or unconscious mind. And being aware of them is a major step in learning how to deal with them. So I could walk around or you could walk around every day and feel like our, our feelings are being manipulated. It's sort of like riding a, um, a roller coaster of emotion based on what we perceive as good or bad or what we perceive as pleasurable or displeasurable and wonder, you know, why, why we get into these moods? Why, why am I fluctuating up and down, up and down? You know, I walk into my psychology class and I may not like the professor and the professor, you know, his demeanor or his tone of voice or his facial expressions remind me of something negative. And so I place that negative label on the professor. Now that's going to take away from my absorbing information in that class. Will I be listening to him or will I be kind of ignoring him? Will my mind be somewhere else based on the perception of he being a displeasurable object? And then I walk into my English class. And my professor has a good sense of humor. And he walks around the room and he keeps th things lively. And that's a pleasurable experience for me. Am I going to listen more to that professor as opposed to the psychology professor? 
how about my progress in that class? Is my perception of the professor or of the material going to affect how well I do in that class? Of course it is. If we're not aware of how our perceptions influence the way we think and the way we feel. So if I'm walking down the street and I see this red Corvette, I say, ooh, that's a great Corvette. I want that Corvette. I would look cool in that Corvette. Why? Because that Corvette represents something pleasurable. And certainly the image of it in our minds is, is that of something pleasurable. And then I turn ar around and I look at a, a you know, a 1969 uh, beat up Mustang with its fenders hanging off. I go, oh, who could drive such a car like that? And you start feeling displeasure. So those two objects, the Corvette and the beat up Mustang, by way of your perception, have manipulated the way you feel. And that's something we have to get used to. And how do we get used to it? By practicing the use of the observer. I want to be able to watch myself or observe myself. Experience those perceptions. I want to be able to watch myself feel displeasure because of those perceptions. But I don't want to get caught up in those perceptions. Now, again, the Buddhists would say, you cause your own suffering by how you perceive reality and what you perceive in reality. Is it something pleasurable? Is it something displeasurable? Is it something I like or is it something I dislike? I don't know too many people who like to sit down and write a five-page essay. And that attitude toward the five-page essay is generated by the inner image of the essay itself that definitely will affect the quality of the essay again unless you're aware of it and you can catch that displeasurable feeling and say oh wait a minute my job is to write the essay my job is to sit here and sulk about how much i dislike it my job is to accept what's in reality and deal with the reality or the context of the situation that I'm in. So it's really a two-way street. Perceiving is believing. So you could walk on one side of the street and as you perceive the situations in your life or the activities that you are responsible for completing in your life as something, let's just say, good or bad. You, or you could walk on the other side of the street and start being aware of every single thing that triggers your perception as to whether the situation is good or bad. And be aware of it. This way you could let it go, focus on the present moment, and produce results or quality results. If you walk in the middle of the road thinking that you don't have to do thinking that you're caught in the middle and you're walking in the middle of the road and you're trying to ignore the perceptions and the images that, that come across in your mind 
And at the same time, you're trying to be the observer and you're thinking I could stay in the here and now. Well, then you're trying to walk in two worlds at the same time. And as Mr. Miyagi said in The Karate Kid, you walk one side of the road, yes, for karate, that's good. You walk the other side of the road, no, you don't want to practice karate, that's okay too. You walk in the middle, you want to do it, and you don't want to do it at the same time, boom, you get squished, just like grape. That's a quote from the movie Karate Kid, by the way. A very good movie. I love that movie. So, we come back to the original premise in Podcast 2 of developing the observer to stand back from our situations, to be aware of how the outside world or anything in the outside world has a direct relation to us, to our inner world. Not an easy thing to do. Haven't You guys haven't been trained to do it. The schools certainly don't do it. If it were up to me, I would make it mandatory from first grade all the way through high school. To not just develop the observer, but to actually study the mind and, and how the mind works and how we can manage or self-manage you know, who we are and start to develop more of who we are. And that includes contacting, you know, the, the spiritual strength inside of us and learning how to apply that to different situations, learning how to be more self-compassionate. Well, I don't have to make myself miserable. I, I could choose to, to make myself feel happier. But why do I keep falling into this miserable state of mind? Now we have some kind of knowledge that we could use to pull ourselves out of that self-generated misery. Or this constant, you know, thinking negative. Or this uh, blaming life for, for any, you know, fallacies that we have or misfortunes that we have. It all comes back to who we are and, and, and what we perceive and what we perceive generates what we believe so we need to change our way of looking at things so wayne dwyer famous psychologist who passed away about four or five years ago he has this famous quote and i and i, and I usually post it um on blackboard or sometimes i'll just write it on the board in class and dr dwyer says change the way you look at things and the things you look at change and I think that's a very simple statement. At the same time, it's a very profound statement. So that's what we need to do. Change the way we look at things and the things we look at change. And based on this podcast tonight, you have a tool in which to change the way you look at things. So we need to practice that. And it's so easy. You could practice that walking from one class to the other. You could practice that as soon as you wake up by getting out of bed and walking down the hall to get breakfast. You could practice that right now. You could even journal your experiences and keep track of them. It's sort of like a self-analysis. But Socrates also said the life of contemplation is the only life worth living. Otherwise, we get bounced around like a cue ball. You know, life, you know, throws us... Uh, throws us curves and 
throws us situations that we don't want to deal with, yet we know deep inside we need to deal with them. But something holds us back. I can't do this. You know, I'm miserable. Nothing works out for me. Oh, my God, I suck. I mean, we got to get rid of that stuff. We have to dig inside and pull ourselves up, pull our true self up into reality. Yes, is it being vulnerable? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent, it is being vulnerable because you're accepting more. And God forbid you don't want anybody to think that, you know, you're vulnerable or you're not the strong silent type or you could just handle any old thing and it doesn't bother you. Okay, you like if you like that kind of belief system, then go live with Goofy in Disneyland. All right, hang out with them because that's all that is. That's 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 thinking based on real on yeah on reality. That's thinking based on fantasy. Doesn't work, by the way. And professionals will tell you if things don't change, they just keep getting. I'm not going to say worse, but if things don't change, or if you don't make those changes, then you stay the same way. So right now you guys are in your late teens, early 20s. You want to feel miserable when you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50? So take these steps. Make the changes. Look inside. Study who you are. Strengths and weaknesses. And employ that observer. And for now, thank you very much for listening. Next week, we'll be back with another podcast. Uh, sprinkle some insights into our psyches so we could live a, uh, I'm not going to say a better life, but a, a life with, with, with more richness to it, which, with more humanness to it. Forget about the suffering. There's enough suffering in the world. I don't, I don't have to create more, and neither do you. So thanks for listening. And I'll see you guys next week. Be safe and be cool. Well, that about wraps it up for tonight. I hope you enjoyed listening to College Success for You. I'm your host, Professor John Soriano, coming to you from Seton Hall University and Kane University. I hope to uh, see you all next week, or rather have you all tune in next week for another episode of some insightful commentary about college. Have a good evening.